Hi, and thanks for listening to another audio podcast from Creekside Community Church, Narangba, Queensland. For more information and resources, please visit our website at www.creekside.org.au. Good morning. Let's pray together. Father, it's our delight to be in your presence today. We thank you for your great love and grace which you have poured out on us. We thank you, Lord, we sit as your children in your presence today, accepted by you. Lord, we thank you for our church family. We thank you all that you're, for all that you're doing in our church family, for the way that you're teaching us and growing us. And Lord, we just want to invite you to continue speaking to us today as we've uh, met together and as we open your word and we think about your truth today together. So Lord, speak to us and help us to understand, help us to move forward today with you. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the Bible says we should confess our sins to one another. So let me confess one of my sins to you. Uh, To this morning's sermon, a lot of it is going to be a straight plagiarization from a really great book which I've been reading called Gospel by J.D. Greer. Bring it up. Uh, Thanks, guys. This book, Gospel, it's a book which you need to get, okay? Um, It's a fantastic book, one of the best books I've read a long time on growing in your Christian journey with Jesus. So don't deprive yourself. I know you're probably thinking, you know, there's only 20 copies in Kurong and, you know, I don't want to get one because that would mean a lot of other people have to miss out. Look, just spoil yourself, okay? Fork out that 10 bucks, 15 bucks and enjoy this book. You won't regret it. Here's a rather lengthy quote to get started. He says this, I am a professional Christian, but for many years I found Christianity to be wearisome. That's a confession you won't often hear from a pastor, but it was true of me. I first put my faith in Christ when I was in high school. My conversion, as far as I can tell, was sincere. I understood that Christ had paid the penalty for my sin, and I surrendered to do whatever God wanted me to do. So I got a big list of stuff to start and stop doing for God. I went to a Christian school that emphasised conformity to a set of rules. We didn't dance, because dancing would make you have impure thoughts. And we couldn't listen to music with a beat in it, because that might make you want to dance. We weren't allowed to go to see movies because movies make you worldly. We couldn't even go to see Christian movies when they came to the theatre because if people saw us at the movies, they might assume we were there to see worldly movies. And that might make them think it was okay for them to see worldly movies. It was rules that, like these that real Christians lived by. I learned that real Christians tell other people about Jesus. So I set goals for how many people I would tell about Jesus in a given month. I even established a minimum time limit of 15 minutes for how long I would sit with a stranger on an aeroplane before bringing up whether or not they knew Jesus. I learned that real Christians love international missions. So I took lots of mission trips, 25 countries in 10 years, and gave lots of money to missions. I even packed up my entire life into an oversized duffel bag and went to live in a third world fundamentalist Muslim country for two years. I later learned that real Christians love the poor. 
So I sponsored a compassion child. But wasn't she just one in an endless sea of hurting people that desperately needed my help? Should I adopt five more? Twenty-five more? Did I really need to drink that Coke with dinner? Couldn't that money be used to feed another orphan? I constantly felt guilty about anything I owned. Whatever I gave, it wasn't enough because there was always more that I could give. And after all, God doesn't judge your giving by the amount you give, but by the amount you have left. And I always had a little bit more left than the kid in India did. I was living in a way that would have just about met anybody's standard as a real, committed Christian. But this religion of so-called grace often felt more to me like drudgery than delight. No matter how many rules I kept and how disciplined my life was, I walked around with an ever-present sense of guilt. In the deepest part of my heart, I knew that God wasn't pleased with me because there was always something I could be doing better. The really good Christians were always doing something that I wasn't. My servant for God was fervent, but my passions for him were cold. I certainly didn't desire to know him more. I was tired, and while I would never admit it, I was starting to hate God. He was the merciless taskmaster, always standing over me, yelling, Not enough! I want more! He was always there, waving damnation in my face, saying, If you want my approval, there's something else you must do. His constant demands were driving me insane. The more I strived to walk in his ways, the less love I felt for him. Oh, I had the facts down. I knew that he'd taken the, uh, the penalty for my sin. I knew he was the world's most satisfying possession. But if my heart, if my head knew that truth, my heart didn't feel it. Recently, I discovered something that has changed everything. The gospel. It's not that I didn't understand or believe the gospel before. I did. But the truth of the gospel hadn't moved from my mind to my heart. Rediscovering the gospel has given me a joy in God I never experienced in all my years of fervent religion. Now I sense almost daily a love for God growing in my heart, displacing a love for myself. Well, I'd love to keep reading, and it probably would be a much better sermon than what you get from me, but I've got to stop at some point, so we'll stop there. But hopefully I might have tempted you to get hold of the book and read it for yourself. Uh, this is a topic we, which we keep coming back to, and I don't apologise about that. You'll hear a lot of what we say over and over again, because the problem is not that we don't understand in our heads. You might understand in heads, but it needs to drop to your heart. And the only way we do that is keep coming back to these foundational, important truths. You know, we've been talking about our service for God, the building of God's kingdom, what that looks like, what it is all about, what it means... And this morning we talk about this question, well, what if I don't actually want to serve God? Oh, well, nobody would say that, well, unless you're a very rebellious sort of chap. But in your heart, you might really be thinking, oh, do I really have to? I mean, my life's complicated enough. I've got a stressful enough job, my, my family, you know, keeps me on my toes. I don't have enough time to, to breathe, let alone thinking of getting involved in church, getting, signing up for some ministry, you know, too much. Oh, I guess I should do it. I know I should do it. 
If I don't do it, someone else will, and I'll feel terribly guilty that I didn't pitch my, my thing in and, and do my bit. And isn't it sadly true that sometimes running church programs is, is, is a wearisome duty? You know, getting church ready and running around frantically on Sunday morning, getting that morning tea ready or getting that Sunday school lesson ready or, or getting your music ready and it's just a rush and getting the kids dressed and all in time and out the door and turn up at church and then we put on the smile and say, yes, we're here. Now we're going to worship God. But actually it was, it was hard work. And after a while, maybe we start to find it a bit wearisome. Well, we're going to do two things this morning. Firstly, we're going to take a little bit of a glimpse in the scriptures of what ministry should look like. And then secondly, I just want to give you a few practical suggestions for how we can grow to serve God out of joy. All right? So first of all, a practical a, a look at the scriptures at what ministry <coughs> me, what ministry should look like. We're going to look at second Corinthians chapter 3, and Paul is defending his ministry from uh, the angry mob of critics which Paul had against him. And 2 Corinthians 3, we're not going to go through this in any sort of exposition today, I'm just going to pick these verses out and just show you this glimpse. This is what ministry looked like coming from his heart, a man who, if anyone should have found ministry wearisome, wearisome is not a strong enough word, <laughs> Ministry was painful for Paul. He was actively suffering for it. But if anyone should find ministry wearisome, it would be this guy, Paul. But let's see what ministry looks like according to Paul. <clears throat> we look in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, and this is how Paul describes his ministry. One, it's a ministry of the heart in verse 3. Paul's ministry is written with the Spirit of God, not with on tablets of stone, talking back, to, refer, uh, contrasting with the Old Testament, where the, the law of God was written on stone. And what does stone remind you of? Hard, cold, stoniness, not much joy there. Paul's ministry, Paul's work is in people's hearts. It's a ministry of the heart. Secondly, Paul says, it's a ministry of the Spirit, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. In other words, the Old Testament was all about, we've heard of the letter of the law, you know, all the details of sacrifices and Sabbaths and festivals and laws. Paul says, my ministry is not one of the letter, not getting the dotting the I's and T's, not so much, but it's of the Spirit of God. It's following His leading as He leads us in, his in our lives. Thirdly, Paul says, my ministry is a ministry of life. The letter kills. It brings condemnation. It brings judgment. But the ministry of God brings life. It brings life to me. It brings life to those whom I minister. It's a life-giving ministry. Number four, it's a ministry of glory. Paul says, the Old Testament, the old ministry of the Old Testament was glorious well, shouldn't the New Testament be even more glorious? Will not the ministry of the Spirit have even more glory? The ministry of righteousness must far exceed it in glory. What does glory mean? It means beauty. It means delight. Of, of, of great value. 
Paul says to serve God is to engage in a beautiful activity, glorious activity. Number five, Paul says it's a ministry of freedom. Verse 17, where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Serving God releases me. It releases other people. It sets you free. Isn't that what we want? Freedom. And finally, Paul says, verse 18, it's a ministry of transformation. We all with unveiled faces beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. As we serve God, God by his Holy Spirit is changing us, transforming us into new creatures. Isn't that a wonderful thing? Hands up if you want to be in that so involved in that sort of ministry. I do. Serving God, which brings life, which brings freedom, which brings transformation. And so Paul goes on in 4 verse 1 and says, Therefore, having this ministry, by God's great mercy, we don't lose heart, even though I'm copying it from all sides. This ministry is worth it 100%. Well, uh, 4 verse 6, he says, this is the heart of Paul's ministry. God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. God has shone into my heart. And out of that comes my ministry, Paul says. Okay, so that's our biblical look at what ministry looks like. Now here's just four very practical suggestions they're not exhaustive. You might be able to add to the list. Now, this is what it seems to me, four practical suggestions for how we can grow to love God and to serve him out of joy. Number one is we need to learn to love God. Okay? Once we love God, it's easy to serve God. Once you love him, once you love other people, it's a pleasure to serve. The problem is, of course, it's easy to say that. Oh, of course, we just love God and no worries. It's a joy from now on. No problem. Our, the problem is we might sing about love when we come and sing together as a church. And we might say the right words, but do our hearts really actually love God? Do we really love? Or are we like, as J.D. Greer so, so described it so well, is it really all just driven by guilt and shame and duty? How do you learn to love it's not easy to teach people how to love something. You can teach people behaviours. You can teach people skills. This is what you do. But how do you teach people to love something? I've been trying to teach Ruth to love watching football. And I, I grow to despair. She just doesn't seem to get it. You know, I try and explain. But it, it's like she's just missing something. It's hard, isn't it? How do you teach yourself to love? Someone, you can't force yourself to love. Can you? Well, the problem is we're missing something. Our hearts are naturally inclined in their human state to drift away from God. We are self-centered. And we don't love the most beautiful being imaginable, the God who made beauty. Beauty is a product of God. God is the source of beauty. And for some strange reason, we humans have this inclination away from God. And we find God boring. 
the God who made all of the excitement and joy in the world. We find him boring. And our hearts drift away from him. We need the Spirit of God to shine his light in our hearts, as Paul puts it. Shine his light to bring light into our darkness. How do we learn that? Well, basically, the way we learn to love God is when the penny drops that God loves you and God loves me. In spite of my darkness, in spite of my sin, in, in spite of my self-centeredness, in spite of my mess, in spite of my history, in spite of my future, which I haven't even messed up yet, God loves me. It's not what I have to do. It's what Jesus has done for me. And if I am a Christian, if I have placed my faith in Jesus and if I've cast my all on him, then he's washed my sins clean from beginning to end, from the day of my birth to the day I die. They're all gone. They're all washed clean. And if my faith is in Jesus, I have the Spirit of God in my heart, then I'm accepted in God's presence as his child, as his son, as his daughter. What J.D. Greer does uh, the heart of his book is he just lays out this daily prayer which he prays. It's got four components. Uh, we won't talk about all of them today, but the first component is this aspect of receiving the gospel afresh. And this is his little prayer which he just prays every single day. His prayer is this. In Christ, there is nothing I can do that would make you love me more. Think about that. There is nothing I can do that would make you love me more. Not more Bible reading. Not more going to church, not more signing up for more activities. There's nothing that I can do which will make you love me more. And there's nothing which I can do which will make you love me less. And he prays that prayer every day. Puts the truth in the mind and asks God to let the Spirit drop it to his heart. I've been doing a similar process myself. For two years, reading this book has been great for me because it's been a confirmation of some of the things which I've been pursuing in my own life. I've been praying a similar sort of prayer, slightly different. And my experience has been this. You know, you don't, get, you don't sort of pray the prayer in the morning and you get some sort of supernatural lightning bolt come from heaven and it gives you this supernatural grin on your face for the rest of the day. You're sort of charged up for the day because you prayed that little prayer. It doesn't work like that. But my experience has been that I have experienced some growth in this, and I'm in a far better place spiritually just in resting in God's love than I was, say, two years ago. Because it's just been a gradual thing where the, every day I start not by thinking about what I have done and what I have to do, but just resting in the fact that God has done everything for me already. And He loves me. And His grace has made me accepted in His sight. I'm perfectly accepted. And so I can just rest in that. And I can enjoy God. And it's not about what I've got to do today, how many Bible chapters I've got to get through, how, 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 how good is my Sunday school presentation going to be, how, how, how committed am I to, the, to, to the, the church ministry and how slack other people are because they aren't committed as, as, as much as I am committed. All that rubbish. It's all about just, God, at the beginning of the day, I'm just going to enjoy your love and you've made everything right. I'm accepted in your presence. So number one, learn to love God. Number two, only do what God wants you to do. Some people can never say no. 
Uh, there's always another need. There's always more money which needs to be given. All more, always more church events to go to. Always more causes to give to. Always more ministries to be involved in. And some people can never say no because, oh, there's such a great need and, and, and who's going to do it? And, well, I'd better show that I'm committed. And, you know, if you react to every single need that's put before you, who are you serving at the end of the day? You're serving people, aren't you? Because you don't want to let people down. Serving people. All that God asks you to do is do what He wants you to do. And so make it your commitment that you'll just do what God wants you to do, not what other people want you to do. And so come to God and say, God, I'm your child. You love me, you've forgiven me, you've made me part of your family. Lord, it's a pleasure for me to serve you because my life is yours. What do you want me to do? This is the time I have. Is that a good expenditure of time? This is the money I have. These are the circumstances with my work and my family. What do you want me to do? You should want to serve him. If you really understand the love for God for you, then the, next, the, the natural thing will be a love for other people, you, a, 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 love to, to, a desire to spread his love for others. But it'll be just the case of, well, this is what you've given to me. God, what's a wise investment of, of what you've given to me with my time and my resources? And, you know, if an urgent need comes up which you can't fulfill, guess what? God is a big God. And if you're not available to fill a need, God can look after it. doesn't rely on you. You can trust him to provide if you're not able to help in a need that is there. Number three, put feelings in their place. Put your feelings in their place. We need not only to train our mind to love God, we also need to train our feelings. Because we don't always feel like doing the things which God is calling us into. Service can become a means of knowing more of God's grace. As we serve God, we start to understand more of God's grace. But it isn't something, um, our selfish feelings don't always immediately appreciate it and say, oh yeah, I, I want to serve God. I, I, I want to do what God wants me to do. Acts of serving God doesn't always feel naturally pleasurable. Stephen Ross served the Lord for the majority of their life, a major portion of their life in the Philippines. At great cost, great sacrifice, Serving tribal people, separate from their family and loved ones for, for long periods of time. Is, does that feel good? I'm sure there's times of joy in it. But I'm sure there's many times where it's, it's, there's not much glory in being a missionary like that, I'm sure. You, you probably don't feel it for the feelings of joy of saying goodbye at the airport. No, of course not. But... I would imagine that there's, you know, they are experiencing, they are learning more of God's grace than probably the most of us because they are doing what Jesus did. That Jesus left heaven for us. And Jesus came and served the poor. And as they serve the poor and as they say goodbye, they must know so much more what the love of Jesus for them is because they're personally going through it. And they are diving deeper into the grace of God, not to impress, but as a reflection 
of what Jesus himself has done for them. Our feelings will be rebellious at times. You know, you get out of bed in the morning and you've had a bad night's sleep or maybe you're dreaming all night about some frustrating thing that happened to you yesterday and you get out and you, it's grumpy day. You, you know, you don't, haven't started right. You need to put your feelings in their place. Just rebuke them and say, I'm not going to let those feelings rule my day. I'm going to claim the truth of God by faith. That what's, the most be- that what's the best investment of my time? The best investment of my time is listening to God and His Word. The best investment of my time in which there is ultimate joy, even if that joy is only experienced in heaven at the end of the day. The ultimate joy is in a pathway of pursuing Jesus, in the pathway He's called us to, to serve people, to give to people. It's like getting fit, you know, your flabby muscles might complain. Oh, why do I have to do this job? Why do I have to do these ways? And your flabby muscles are complaining and your mind needs to tell them, get with the game. Get with the game. This is what we're doing and I'm not letting my flabby muscles stop me from experiencing the long-term joy and fulfilment that God is calling me into. So claim the fact that not only that God loves you, but that God is beautiful, that God is glorious, and that at his right hand are pleasures forevermore. His love is greater than life itself. So pursue the disciplines which he invites you into to experience more of his grace and his love, even if your feelings are rebelling. And finally, number four, join up with others in doing this. Uh, Because it's hard to learn to love God on your own. It feels easy when we're all here together as a congregation and someone's speaking about it and we're all nodding and singing and smiling. Yeah, I'm going to start loving God more from now on. But you know, the reality is when we get back in the real world, everyday life, it's hard to, love, to learn to love God on your own. And it's hard sometimes in the confusing mess of our lives, it's hard to work out, well, am I being overcommitted? Am I saying yes to too many people? Do I need to cut back? And so it's really helpful to, to share your life with other people. and Let them give you their observations. It's hard, isn't it, when, you're, when you've got to overcome your feelings which are rebelling against the spiritual disciplines which God is calling you into. To do it on your own. You join with other people. Open up your life. You share your struggles. You ask for their input. You journey together, read the Bible together, pray together, serve together. Do it together. And so you can speak God's grace to one another. Let me finish with uh, a quote from the end of the book from J.D. Greer. This is how he concludes. My soul has found its resting place. No longer do I struggle in anguish over what I must do for God to be pleased with me. Christ has accomplished it all on my behalf. I can add nothing to it. I can take nothing away. I have a lot of room to grow in my Christian life, but my position in him is secure. Having found, or better yet, been found by him and overwhelmed at his grace, my heart is growing in love for him and others. Generosity is like a stream that flows ever stronger in my heart. I give away more money now than I ever have. Not because I have to, but because I want to. 
I think about myself less now than I ever have, mainly because I have found a greater, more captivating kingdom to live for than my own. The splendor of his kingdom has made me bored with mine. So I invite you to dive deeper into the gospel. The gospel is not merely the diving board of which you've jumped into the pool of Christianity. The gospel is the pool itself. So keep going deeper into it. You'll never find the bottom. Let's pray together. Father, we are stupid, foolish, hard-hearted, self-centered people in our natural state. But by your grace, you shine light into our hearts, the light of the glorious gospel. You show us your love. You show us your forgiveness in Jesus. And you invite us and call us into new ways of living, which are ways of freedom and transformation. So we thank you, Father, for the privilege to be on this journey. Father, if there's any here who don't even know Jesus, who are strangers to Jesus, Lord, I just pray that you would show them your love for them and your grace to them and help them to respond to you. Take that first step today to receive your grace and love, receive salvation. And Father, as J.D. Greer reminds us, Lord, I just pray for all of us that we would just keep diving deeper and deeper into the gospel. Uh, you would do this wonderful work in our hearts by your Holy Spirit so that we might be serving you out of love and joy and freedom. Please do this work within our hearts and as a congregation as a whole. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.